Welcome to the Pennsylvania in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Alan Wooten, Managing Editor at the Center Square Newswire Service. Pennsylvania in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. You can also link to them through the podcast drop-down menu at thecentersquare.com. We are recording on Thursday, July 28. I am joined today by Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square, and Joe Mueller of the Center Square staff, who is pinch hitting for our vacationing Pennsylvania reporter, Anthony Hennon. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Alan. Thanks uh, to Joe for joining us. Since, Alan, you're generous enough to give Anthony some time off. Um, understand he might be touring Europe right now, so I hope he's enjoying himself. I do, too. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, guys. And uh, July 28th is a special day. 32 years ago today, uh, my wife and I uh, were wed in Springfield, Missouri. Pardon me, as reporters uh, in newspapers way back then. So uh, uh, here we are three decades later, and I'm back in journalism. Happy anniversary, Joe. Thank you. Hope you've got a hope you've got a big night planned. Uh, well, unfortunately, we're both dealing with COVID protocols, so we're going to have to postpone our celebration for a couple of nights. I see. Well, uh, the the anticipation will only make it sweeter, I guess. <laughs> After thirty two so. years, it's always a uh, all time together is good times. That's right. Very good. Well, as we get into our first story this week, gentlemen, each of you, I want to ask you. Uh, when I mention United States veterans to you, what comes to mind? Are you one uh, or are there some in your family? First thing for me would be heroes, people who you know volunteered to uh, join one of the four branches of the military, um, have since retired. My dad, my late father, I should say, is a veteran of the U.S. Uh, Air Force. And uh, I just want to thank all of our veterans. Uh, my father was in the United States Army Reserve, uh, was on 48-hour call to go to Korea, but never did. And um, my respect for the military, especially leaders, has only grown throughout the years. I had a dear mentor uh, by the name of Colonel Fred Brown, uh, who spent his entire career developing the Apache helicopter uh, here in uh, St. Louis with the old McDonnell Douglas and uh, Fred was uh, just a tremendous mentor. Uh, I, we worked together in the Boy Scouts of America. And uh, when you see the the level of leadership and service that uh, so many have given to this country, um, we need to make sure that they're taken care of. Absolutely. I, my father served in the National Guard and uh, uh, before I came to the center square, one of the stops I had was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I lived next door to many, many members of our military who were at Fort Bragg, which, is, as you know, that's the 911 call from the White House. That's, that's where they go. So um, got a tremendous amount of respect myself. This week, Joe filed a story for us uh, at the center square uh, following a meeting of the Pennsylvania Senate Urban Affairs and Housing Committee. Did some reporting afterward that. Joe, we learned from your story that it has been taking at least a year for the DD-214 to be obtained by some Pennsylvania veterans. Uh, To start, tell us, what is the DD-214? Why is it important? 
This particular document, Alan, is crucial. Every member of the United States services, when they're discharged, they get this form. And it is required to begin almost any type of benefits uh, through the Department of Defense, the Veterans Administration, and so forth. And uh, kind of a personal uh, touch here in, with my St. Louis connection here in Missouri, uh, the National Record Center uh, where all of this data is kept is here just about a mile from where I grew up as a kid. And uh, for years, they have struggled to get information out of there in a timely manner, and COVID has only made it worse. To make it even more complicated, uh, I remember when I was a kid back in the 70s, uh, the old record center caught fire, and they had to reassemble all of the DD-214s, all the medical records, all the historical records uh, for the entire nation Every single serviceman, World War II, Korea, and so forth, uh, was in that, and it was affected by that fire, and they've re slowly recovered from that over the decades. Uh, but e even today, uh, it's been incredibly frustrating, discouraging for uh, those who are helping our veterans, <clears throat> pardon me, to be able to get this one simple form out of the government to make sure they can get services. Dan, what's the impact when, when the veteran can't, you know, when there's a time lapse like that? Yeah, well, the obvious answer to that one is, you know, they, they can't get the benefits that they earned, uh, that they earned through their service uh, in the military to defend uh, the United States and its, its citizens. But, you know, unfortunately, we have a sad history um, in this country of, of serving our veterans. We, I, I think we probably all heard uh, of some of the horror stories at VA hospitals um, around the country and, and, and waiting times for VA to get the help, VA, or veterans, excuse me, to get the, 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 the health care that they need. And now, um, you know, this story, which we learned of coming out of a Pennsylvania Senate uh, committee hearing, um, this week that it, uh, up to a year, that's disgraceful um, uh, uh, to, to, to get the, 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 the documents they need to receive their benefits. We need to treat our veterans better than we do. Yeah, I think one of the, the quotes in Joe's story, the, the, the fellow said that, you know, a day and age when you can uh, just scan and, and take pictures of things instantaneously, how does it take a, a year? Uh, it, it's just mind boggling. Uh, Joe, you, you were you were with the hearing through its uh, conclusion there. Did we hear of any potential fixes? Did we hear of things they're trying to do? What, what's next as this story kind of moves forward? There, there is a little bit of a bright spot that if you were discharged after the year 2000, there's now a way to get electronic access to your to your records. Uh, however, if you're a veteran of Korea, of Vietnam, you're still stuck in this uh, in this quagmire. So, <clears throat> pardon me. I think that there needs to be, from what I could gain from the 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 senators and others in this hearing, there needs to be a concerted effort to continue to put pressure on, and we as taxpayers can probably do our part as well to make sure when 
budgets are allocated that we devote enough funds to begin this digital transformation to help our veterans. Uh, the technology is there. There just has to be leadership and an institutional will to get it done. Uh, is there, if, if I can, yeah, go ahead, Dan. I, I was just going to uh, uh, jump in there. I, I agree with um, Joe 100 percent, but we've been we've been increasing our coverage of veter veterans issues uh, at the center square, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the country. We wrote a story, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago. Uh, Joe referenced uh, early on that the, the groups that work with veterans are increasingly frustrated with the Veterans Administration and, and other government-run programs that serve veterans. And, and one of their, their things was, and, and they pointed out, um, the Veterans Administration's budget has grown significantly over the years, but these types of problems aren't getting any better. So it's not like the funding's not there. There's some efficiency issues. There, there's some management uh, issues with the VA, within the VA that need to be uh, addressed and they're not being addressed. Um, uh, so that's what I would say. Yes, we need to make sure they're properly funded, but it sounds like the, from these veterans uh, groups, uh, private veterans groups that we work with, that there's plenty of funding. Um, the issue is with the, within the administration. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, the Biden administration. I'm talking about within the administration of the VA's programs. Yeah, and I think we'd all agree that there's been enough money flowing out of Washington in the last two years that yeah, money should not be a problem. Uh, if it was COVID, as Joe said, this, is, this happened before COVID started. And if it was COVID related, Lord knows there's been enough money that's come out of Washington in the last couple of years that something could have gone in for either one time fix or, or something of that nature. Um, it, it is a head scratcher. It's, it's really something. Good work on that, Joe. Appreciate the story. Another one you filed this week uh, involved uh, the wife of Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. Uh, Francis is her name. And I want to share a quote uh, from the story. The topic here is hunger and college students. And it's about the college students themselves being hungry. Uh, the quote is from Francis Wolf. She's aware of uh, nutrition programs in elementary and secondary schools. And she was on a panel discussion and she says, I asked what happens when they go on? And it was crickets, silence. There wasn't anything there. And that's what really caught me and took my breath away. Dan, the cost of higher education in the eyes of the baby generation that you and I have been a part of uh, is just astounding. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible what it costs to go to college these days. Do we really overlook that there are students who are on these campuses and who are going around hungry? To answer your second question first, I, absolutely, we probably do. Your first question, uh, just a personal note, I'm well aware of the cost of higher education right now. I've got uh, <laughs> two kids. My son is uh, going to be entering his fourth year at the University of Alabama. My daughter's entering her second year um, at Sam Houston State in Huntsville, Texas. So I know something about the cost of sending kids to college. But honestly, you know, I, I'm guilty as charged from the First Lady of, of Pennsylvania. Um, I wasn't aware of this or didn't think about this as an issue, but it, it does make sense. I guess I guess maybe when you because when you think about it, you know, if you, you're, you're going on to college and you're able to afford college, 
um, you, you're probably coming from, you know, a, a more affluent or upper middle class or middle class family and, and hunger wouldn't be an issue. But when you think about it with student loan programs um, and whatnot, there are plenty of people who go to college who probably got reduced or free um, a breakfast and or lunch um, in, in high school and in secondary and elementary school. Um, uh, you've certainly you've got um, um, uh, single moms, maybe you know, probably even single dads who are trying to improve them themselves um, by expanding their education, who you know, struggle to eat, make ends meet, particularly if they're putting themselves uh, through college and don't have help. So y- y- yeah, I, as I said, guilty as charged that I didn't think of this as an issue, but I can understand it being one. Absolutely. I I am guilty as well. Joe, your story says the Pennsylvania legislature is sending a million dollars to the campuses. Um, What kind of dent can that make? And are there other ways that students are able to get help? What do we we think or what are they saying? One of the things that uh, uh, the first lady emphasized is this money is going to go to uh, not to bureaucrats, but to go to the volunteers, the kids on these campuses who have started the pantries, who have worked with the administrations, who've seen the hunger firsthand, uh, so they can begin to either buy food for their own pantries or get their own pantries set up. Uh, so that, uh, from a, a standpoint of of government money going into areas where it's just not going to be wasted. Uh, it, it looks to me like they're on the right track there. Uh, how much of a dent? Gosh, uh, you look at a, a, a million dollars, uh, that can go really far in, in some areas and in other, other instances, people may tell you that's not going to have any effect. Um, you know, if one, if it helps just one person out there to uh, increase their awareness to to build and and maintain these food networks and food pantries, then uh, maybe it'll be a good investment. But uh, um, in my previous career with the Boy Scouts, we did a one day food drive called Scouting for Food. We got two million canned goods in one day, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and. I know that those kids always learn that lesson that they might have given one can, but when they went to the collection site and saw all the other cans that the kids collected, they knew they were making a difference. So I hope that there is that level of of communication and awareness that uh, everybody working together on college campuses uh, especially the communities like fraternity sororities can uh, collaborate and and make a difference. Uh, but I, I do think it's a challenge sometimes to identify your neighbor next door who may be hungry and you may not know it. Yeah, and, and that kind of dovetails with another thought I had. You know, um, the, the big thing is 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 for the kids to be fed. And um, for for kids to come up that are that are uh, 18, 19, 20 and say, I'm hungry, um, there could be a, a vanity issue. And so it's it's really a, an interesting equation to see it play out. And I, I think the uh, the, the forum uh, where the first lady was speaking at that whole it's called Nazan. It's a nonprofit dedicated to helping solve the hunger problem on on college campuses. I think that they're getting a foothold there to make sure that uh, those types of obstacles are overcome. Uh, 
and hopefully the stigma uh, that might be associated with being in need can be overcome uh, because, gosh, A, life is too short, and B, too much is being used from a financial standpoint to pay for your tuition, only to have that money not properly utilized because you're hungry and you can't learn. And, and Dan is a tuition payer, so he knows that very well, which he's here. Because he can't have vacation because he's got to pay that tuition. So that's why that's why Anthony gets to go. <laughs> sure feels like it. I'll tell you what. <laughs> well, before Anthony left, he did file a story for us uh, related to the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. Um, funding for highways and bridges, he reports, is something that the PennDOT doesn't feel is sustainable. Uh, it's why they tried to toll nine bridges earlier. That failed. Anthony has shared a lot with us on that. Uh, but now they're considering other options uh, besides relying heavily on the gas tax. Uh, Dan, you did grow up in Pennsylvania. You've lived elsewhere over the course of your career. Um, what are the other ways Pennsylvania is considering and, and what have you seen work in other states besides just the gas tax or relying heavily on it? Well, first, um, l- let me let me say this. The programs to fix Pennsylvania's roads and bridges and, and highways and to maintain them, um, 78% of it right now comes from, from the gas tax, which is uh, higher than almost any other state. Of course, as we transition, as 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 we're in the middle of a transition towards electric vehicles, um, um, the more electric vehicles there are on the roads, um, uh, the fewer gasoline is is going to be bought. So that means the fewer gasoline tax revenue is going to be um, collected. So there's no doubt that across not just in Pennsylvania, but across the country, there's going to need to be some sort of transition because we can we can all you know. And I should also say Pennsylvania has the third highest gas tax. Um, uh, in the country uh, to California and Illinois, um, but there's going to need to be a, a, a transition. We can all complain about high taxes, and in in some instances, you know, government doesn't spend our money very wisely. But one of the things government needs to do is maintain our infrastructure, right? We can't get to our jobs, we can't get our kids to school, et cetera, if you don't have decent decent infrastructure. So what are some other ways um, to do it? In other states, um, they assess fees for something as simple as you know renewing your driver's license or getting your uh, license plates, and, and a portion of that money goes towards um, uh, uh, maintaining roads and bridges, etc., across the country. Some states have started talking about a mileage tax. I'm not a fan of a mileage tax because that means you have to put one, <laughs> you know, put something, uh, a device in your car that tracks how many miles you're driving that gets kicked back to government. And I don't know that I want government to, you know, to know how much I'm driving or or where. Not that I'm going anywhere that I shouldn't be going or anything like that. Um, but that's another way to do it. And then, of course, with the increase in electric vehicles, uh, placing an extra tax on electric vehicles has been done in uh, plenty of other states. But I do agree that eventually we're going to have to transition away from gasoline taxes because gasoline use is going to go down. I don't by any means um, call myself an expert on what the best uh, avenue is or where we should transition to, but it's a conversation at least Pennsylvania and other states should be having. Yeah, and, and Joe, I mean, do you, do you see some, what, what kind of hurdles do you see with, you know, when you start talking about going to these alternative methods? Uh, Dan really did a, a good job of outlining the obstacles. And 
I, I, I think that toll roads are another one where people have gone back and forth on that. Uh, I think that um, those, you know, those types of, of use taxes, if you're going to use those, those pieces of infrastructure, you ought to pay for them. Um, and I do think that there's going to be a continuing focus on lowering gas taxes because they're, uh, in a way, they, they're, uh, I, I'm not an economist. I'll use the word regressive where everybody pays gas taxes, but those on the lower uh, middle and lower class, they pay more of their income on gas taxes and other taxes than uh, the upper classes. So you know, it hurts the the little guy a little bit more than the big guy. Uh, so I think it, you know, looking at reducing the gases, gas taxes would be uh, beneficial. But it, I joined Dan. It is a complex problem. It needs a lot of dialogue, probably lots more research. And if we only had that crystal ball to see how fast the electronic revolution is going to get here, uh, it really makes me wonder if we're all going to be driving electric vehicles or, or zero uh, combustion engines by 2030, as a lot of people predicted. I, I don't wait, see that. I, no, I, don't, I don't see it coming that quick. Yeah, those, those electric vehicles. I mean, Dan's right to reference them as far as what uh, some transition is happening, but uh, who you know you, you put that with what Joe said of who's getting hurt by the gas tax it's the the lower uh, socioeconomic levels and they can't afford these electric vehicles they're too expensive they're they're incredibly expensive and so I don't I don't I don't know where where the meeting in the middle is um, yeah still still sticker prices on electric vehicles are still significantly don't have a exact percentage but it's still significantly more expensive than you know your traditional gas powered vehicles and and alan you, you know you're right lower income families certainly can't afford electric the cost of electric vehicles um right now but you know, it, particularly since inflation you know regular cars and used cars new cars and used cars the prices have skyrocketed in the past year year and a half so again but we're talking further down the road here so there's time to figure it out um just happy that the the discussions are at least taking place. Yeah, it, it is good that PennDOT is, is putting that in front of the legislature and and perhaps there will be a, um, uh, uh, a working together sense of unity between the two to uh, come up with some solutions. There definitely needs to be. Uh, lawmakers kind of make those rules. <laughs> One more thing addressing Joe's point you know, about uh, toll roads. I, I agree that's a, 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 a good concept user pays you're only paying a toll obviously if you're driving on the given road or highway or interstate or whatever um a, a pendot plan was was soundly rejected in the legislature um recently to add tolls to a number of bridges and of course um pennsylvania has among the highest uh toll toll rates not just in the country but in the world so i'm not sure uh, motorists uh, would welcome that, although I agree with Joe's opinion that at least it's users paying um, uh, 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 for the miles if, if they're going through tolls on the roads they're driving. And speaking of which, when I visited Dan uh, in the Chicago area last week, I still have not received an automatic uh, bill from any toll road <laughs> of all that I had, so I'm beginning uh, to 
It's coming, Joe. It, <laughs> Illinois, <laughs> Illinois is not going to miss out on an opportunity uh, to build. It's it it'll be there. Trust me. <laughs> All right, Joe. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Dan. Always great to see you. Uh, That is all the time we have for this week. Uh, We encourage you to find news that matters for taxpayers of Pennsylvania and all of the states across the country at thecentersquare.com. This has been the Pennsylvania in Focus podcast, part of the America's Talking Network. Find all of the Center Square's podcasts at americastalking.com. For Dan McCaleb and Joe Mueller, I'm Alan Wooten, and we'll talk to you next week.